What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley, and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast, where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics that the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast. I have a very special guest today, someone who I'm super excited to go deep with on sales leadership. I have Rob Jepson. So for those of you, he's giving a fist pump, too, for those that are listening. For those of you who don't know Rob, he's had over 24 years of direct sales and sales leadership experience in essentially every part of the sales process. He's led large publicly traded sales teams, reported to Wall Street, worked with investors, young companies, and even helped them create their first million in sales. On top of it, Rob was the founder of Exvoyant and is the founder of Jepson Performance Group, where he absolutely crushes leadership and coaching <laughs> by providing solutions for sales leaders worldwide. On top of it, if that isn't enough, he also hosts the Sales Leadership Podcast, which is an award-winning podcast that goes success beyond the the, the best blueprints in the world. And then to top it off, he's been recognized by the American Business Awards with 18 gold and silver Stevie Awards for Sales Leader of the Year, Sales Process of the Year, Sales Team of the Year, Sales Curriculum of the Year, and Sales Coaching Program of the Year. I feel like I'm going to black out, Rob. You got, so, you got so many good things. So, so thank you for being on, man. Really excited to go deep with you. Ryan, thanks for having me. I love what you're doing. It's been awesome getting to know you. Fan of the work you're doing and the, and the light that you shine on some areas that really need to have the light shine. So thanks for having me. I, I, I'm looking forward to rocking and rolling and doing, uh, doing, having some fun together. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and so just so everybody knows, not, not that you have to know, but I didn't meet Rob until he was a part of the Enterprise Sales Summit. He was one of the guys I, I interviewed and just did an absolute amazing job and just drop so many great, tangible, actionable items that you can implement. So I'm like, you've got to be on the show after, after I said that. So, well, so thank you. Rob, I'm here. Let's do it, man. Let's get busy. <laughs> yeah, man. So, so talk through, give, give the folks uh, that are listening some perspective on just your background, man, how you got into sales, how you got to this point. You obviously got a really unique path that you went down and, and done a lot of different things for different people. So can you just walk us through that? Yeah. So I, I grew up like most. I didn't plan on being a salesperson. I, I, I have found very few that said, I want to grow up and be in sales when I grow up. I thought I was going to be a first baseman for the Dodgers, man. And uh, I, I thought that was my deal. Um, but for whatever reason, that just didn't pan out. And I ended up in college, uh, didn't know what to do. Short version, I, I burned through a couple of different majors and I ended up finding marketing as something that I liked. And it, it was cool because it had me doing people stuff and it had me you know, connecting with people. And I had this really interesting opportunity to represent the college I went to. Uh, There's a national competition put on by EDS, Ross Perot's old company. That tells you how old I am. And uh, they recruited at 40 schools. My school was one of them. Uh, I was selected to represent our university and we went and we won the whole thing. And it was a case competition. And it was so fun for me because it wasn't just doing the research and putting the solution together. A key part was standing you know, on a stage in front of the board of direct directors of EDS and presenting the solution. And I found I loved selling our solution to these directors. Well, we ended up winning. And it's a really funny story how we won. Sometime you know, we could go into that. We, 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 we won for very specific reasons. And it taught me tons. 
But when it was done, they started recruiting me. I was planning on going to law school. I was accepted to Columbia Law School. I was going to go be an attorney. And they started recruiting me and they're like, man, you should stay away from law school. And, and so that made me kind of rethink it. And what I decided was I didn't want to go and get into the game where I spent years and years and years like going through the ladder and paying dues. I was like, okay, well, if I'm beating the other top students in the country right now, I don't want to start like them. So I made a decision to find younger privately held companies where I could get an opportunity to do more sooner and learn faster. And one of those first places I landed was I sold myself into an enterprise software job. I'd never thought of sales. But with my marketing degree, the only start that I could get was to sell stuff. Nobody was hiring me for a marketing position. And so they said, let's see if you can sell stuff. And I'll never forget, Ryan, it was a software company selling to large financial institutions. I had zero sales experience. I'd done a little marketing internship work. I went to this person and I got myself a job that I was for sure not qualified for. And the territory I got was the worst possible territory. They gave me the New England state. We're selling to financial. We're selling to financial institutions. They gave me the New England states minus New York and Boston. I didn't get those two. Okay. I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. I, uh, so I was traveling all the time. I had to figure out how to win. When they hired me, they said, I asked them, what's the fastest anybody has ever got their first deal done? And they said, no one's ever landed a deal in less than six months. So my goal was to beat that. And I landed a deal with the Hartford Life Insurance Company in four months. And I was hooked on selling. I was hooked on selling. I'll never forget it, Ryan. It was a $750,000 contract, which for that company was small. But I, you know, today when I say my first deal I ever did was 750, people are like, whoa, right? And um, I learned that I liked doing this. And I decided to make it my career. I just, I not, the more I did it, the more I loved it. And I, start, I stayed in that younger, privately held kind of company world. And I watched companies get sold. And then I became part of getting companies sold. And I started a couple companies and sold a couple companies. And uh, the big change for me happened. I was so passionate about sales and it was in the early 2000s. I told my mentor that I was convinced that sales was going to become a more legitimate profession. And, but what I mean by that is you could get trained on it in college. People wouldn't look at it as an entry-level job. It was like people would say, let's prepare you for the greatest career in the world. I now believe sales is the best profession in the world. With bar none, it's easily the best profession in the world. I teach my kids, if you're smart, you'll be in sales. My mentor said, because I said, I want to be part of how sales evolves. That's what I want to be part of because I saw it coming, man. Because your company is only as good as you can sell stuff. Product superiority does not account for wins and losses. It's how good you sell it. And my mentor said, well, if you want to be part of how the evolution of sales happens, you've got to work for a large publicly traded one. You've got to stop doing these small to medium-sized ones and getting them sold. You're going to have to do big company experience. And so there's a large financial institution that liked me because I had sold to them three times and they hit me up out of the blue and they're like, hey man, we want you to come run sales for us. We want our people to sell the way you sell. And I'd led small teams, I'd led medium-sized teams, but I'd never done that. And I immediately ended up with a hundred, with a thousand person team, ultimately responsible for over 2 billion in revenue every year. And that's when I took that's when I took my lesson in leadership up a notch because I learned really fast on a small to medium sized team. It was easy for me to parachute in and save deals. It was easy for my salesmanship and my sales excellence. I don't want to say cocky. I'm a deal guy. I'll go to my grave when I'm a hundred years old, still feeling like I can outsell anybody, man. 
But learning to lead, I could no longer parachute in because we were chasing that many deals, had 180 managers that were leading these people. How do, I learned so fast, Ryan, that my effort in making them more successful was the catalyst. And that led to success I never imagined. It made me realize as much as I love sales, I wanted my commitment and my niche, my little place to be the development of sales leaders. And I started a software company, Exvoyant, that was about helping sales leaders coach at scale. It's, it's a fantastic company. I, I uh, have now opened up my consultative practice, the Jepson Performance Group, because I don't want to work with investors. I don't want to work with board members. I love working with sales leaders because I am one. And so I'm passionate about it. I have unique approaches to sales leadership. And that's my story, man. I, I, I'll, I'll never forget, Ryan, early on in my sales leadership career, I sucked. We'll talk about that. And I've learned firsthand. I was a crap sales leader and I've been a great one and everything in between. And now I love working with those ones because there's so many ways. You do small things, it has massive impact. So I'll shut up. That's my story, man. That's beautiful. There's, there's so many different areas we could unpack there. So, yeah. but- I, and I'll tell you this, Rob, like, and maybe that's why we got along is uh, when I was a sales leader, when I first started, I think first time I did it was uh, 12 years ago. Actually, I did it earlier then, but I sucked too. Like I grew up in a, in a very like blue collar household and my dad was a cop. Yep. And so he was very like, these are the rules you follow them. And uh, that was kind of the way I approached it. Almost like, I don't want to say militaristic because that paints the wrong picture. But I took that approach. And as you know, salespeople don't really respond well to that. <laughs> I did the same thing, brother. I was like, this is how we're doing it. And, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah, I, I made such massive mistakes, right? Uh, I thought that, you know, I tried to make salespeople in my image. I was the sales version of God. I will, I'm here to make man, salesman in my image, right? And um, no, there are, I have these 21 laws of sales leadership now. And it's amazing how getting some of these leadership laws right changes everything for you fast. Well, let's talk about that, man. You know, what, what are the top, the top five most important sales leadership laws? That, that yeah, let's, let's pick a couple of them. We can unpack a, a few of them here, here quickly. I love this, especially I have a program that fast, it's a, it's a new manager fast track program. And it's fun. I try to take what would take people 18 months to learn and condense it down to three months, right? And, and so I start with some of these laws. Law one is one that surprises people, uh, Ryan. The answer is, the law is, law one, not everybody loves you, okay? Not everybody loves you. And that's super important to understand, Okay you have three kinds of people when you, when you work with an organization, you have those that love you, you have those that hate you. And then you have those in the middle that are the swing group, love group, hate group, swing group. And it's interesting because when you get that job, that sales leadership job, I was the rookie. I was the person that was like, I'm the leader. You're going to do it my way. And you know, the hate groups like, we'll see. <laughs> right. And you know, there are some people who be love group. Oh man, I love your approach. I love your style. I love your expertise. I love your experience. And, and they want to parrot you. They want to follow you. You get your groupies, but you're going to have other people. When I say they hurt you, they hate you. They really do Ryan. And, and, and their objective is really important for you. To know. They want to either hurt you or they want to slow you down. They do. And they never hurt you in public. They never hurt you in front of you. They always do it behind your back. They always do it at the water cooler. And the bigger your organization, the bigger the love group and hate groups are. And so the love group wants as much as you as they can get, but the hate group wants to find ways to slow you down. And then the group in the middle, they don't trust you. And it's not that they don't, that they hate or love you. They just like, Hey, I don't know if I can trust that you know what you're doing. 
And B, I don't know if, if um, I trust who you are as a person. It's those two things. Because at the end of the day, there's two common things that you have to have if you want to be elite as a leader, I've learned. Listen, Ryan, I've seen tons of leadership approaches. 98% of the modern sales teams have a sales process. Only 3% of those teams have a leadership process. This is one of the reasons. No, I'm dead serious. 3%? 3 Because if I was to say, what's your sales process, you'd be able to tell me what it is. But when I say, okay, now let's break down your leadership process, that's a harder question to answer. Yeah. And so there's two things that I found are common. Number one, you've got to build trust. That wins over the swing group. Number two, you've got to achieve results. And you can't have one without the other. So if you have trust and no results, does that work? Mm-hmm. No. What about I have results but no trust? Does that work? Maybe for like a month. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then only long enough to, for you to fund someone else's job exactly. search. Yeah. So your leadership system needs to be creating both of those things, both trust and results. And if you can do those things, I have a whole pro, like I've made that my passion. That's my thing is how do you do that for salespeople? Those same things would apply in leadership in general, but the way you apply it to salespeople is a little different. So that's law one. Not everybody loves you. And so I actually, Ryan, I have tactics for the love group. I have tactics for the hate group. I have tactics for the swing group. And uh, you want to amplify the people in the love group. You want to amplify it with the swing group. And if so let, I'll just give you quick, I, I should shut up and see I mean, if you want to even go here. The love group, the biggest mistake is we fail to love the love group. You know, we take them for granted sometimes, yeah. if that makes sense, right? Yeah. And so it's easy to do, and you don't realize you've screwed it up until you have a problem. And so you want to amplify the love group. On the swing group, what do you guess the biggest mistake is there? I, I would love to get your take. What, what do you think the, the biggest mistake on the hate group is? Not swing group, hate group. The hate group. I think he hate me. Remember from the XFL? Of course, know. yes. That's that's. that's and remember, they want to hurt you or slow you down. So what do you think the biggest, what trap would you suspect a sales leader falls into unsuspectingly with a hate group? Spending too much mind share and focus on them. Great way of saying it. I say the same thing, but different. Okay. We, we try to win them over. Yeah. We try to say, I'm going to take them from this group. I'm going to at least move them to swing. No, don't try to win them over. Hate group is a tough pill to, to swallow or fix. Okay. And so... Uh, our, my advice to you is you just want to neutralize them. You want to make it so the hate group can't affect the swing group. That's all you want to do is neutralize them. Mm-hmm. And so I've got eight or nine tactics to neutralize the hate group. And so the, so the biggest mistake on the love group is we take them for granted. The biggest mistake on the, sw- on the hate group is we spend too much time on them or energy trying to win them over because you probably can't. Yeah. Okay? What about the swing group? Give us the swing group, man. Swing group, you got to earn their trust. And trust comes in three things, right? You're honest, you're helpful, you're reliable. Those are the three things that you have to be able to do for them. Because if they see that you know what you're doing and that they, can, that they believe what you're saying, now you have the opportunity to build trust and results. So, and, and I, I love it, man. That, that's one of the things that, that I think you're excellent at is breaking it down into buckets, making it simple, and then actionable tactics. So, so let's take that a step further. How would you say, like, when you had a thousand not direct reports, but a thousand people in your organization. I thought I heard you say 180 yeah. managers. Leaders, yeah, 180 managers, yep. And so what I would ask you is like, how did you scale trust across that many people? Like what were, were key things that you did that you saw work really well? That is a great question. And if all we talk about in this show is how do you build and scale trust? You know, I guess the first thing that you got to say is – if you look at what makes for a leadership system, mm-hmm. right? A leadership system. 
Well, there's three things. Your approach to leadership, first of all, right? Second of all is the culture that you build. And third is the behaviors that you allow to exist. Is that fair to say? Repeat that one more time. That, that was good stuff. So You're people listening, yeah. wait, you're going to want to write this down. I'm, pull, I'm, pulling, a, I'm pulling a page out of Rob's book. Yeah. You're going to want to write these three things down. This is a good right. sign. Go. So if you're going to be building a leadership system, and remember, only 3% of companies I've found and studies have shown it actually have a system. Most of the time, we hire someone, we give them a team, we give them a product, we give them a territory, and then we give them the quota, and then we leave them on their own. And so that's why leadership systems are so big. It's your leadership approach. And there's like these laws of leadership and lots of things go to that. The culture that you intentionally build. And third is the behaviors that you allow to exist. And at the end of the day, I would say we're competing on those three things, leadership, culture, and behavior, because everybody's dealing with the same events. We all had COVID hit us. We have all had whatever hit us. Everybody's dealing with the same events. So what you're dealing, what you compete on is how you respond. And that's why it's leadership, uh, culture, and behaviors. Okay. And so, that takes me to trust. How do you do that? So since I told you behaviors is one of them, it's very important if you want to be a leader that has trust, because you got to have trust and you got to have results. You got to have both, right? Mm -hmm. Trust is earned through behavior, not title. Trust is earned through behavior, not title. And so if you want to earn trust, it's fun. I remember I spoke at the Strategic Account Management Association years ago, and they gave me this, this topic. I used to speak 40 or 50 times a year, Ryan, until nobody speaks. I, and now it's different. So um, now I'm learning how to do it through a different medium. They wanted me to give a speech on how to be a trusted advisor. And that was a buzzword. Still, I hear it sometimes. And I kind of mocked the title. That's what they wanted me to do. And when I did it, I, the whole speech was making fun of the term trusted advisor. Okay, I blew it up a little bit. So I had everybody take, this is going to be good for everybody to listen to. I had everybody take 60 seconds to write down all the synonyms they could write down for trust. You know, what does trust mean? Since everybody wants to have it, everybody wants to be it, write it down. So everybody wrote down. And so then 2,500 people in the crowd, I told them to kind of huddle up in groups of five or six or whatever, people in front of you, people behind you, people next to you, share your list and have someone read their list. And if even one person in your group didn't have that word, ever, you have to scratch it off. And we were looking for the words that everybody in the group said equals trust. I have done that exercise in kickoffs. I've done that exercise in keynotes. I've done that exercise several hundred times, Brian. And nobody ever gets more than two words. Most groups have zero words that everybody agree means trust. That's interesting, okay? Wow. So I would tell your listeners, do this exercise, have them write down the synonyms, break them into groups of five or six, have people read their words. And you don't have to have everybody in the group read their words because if one person reads it, if one person says I didn't have it, you scratch it. But if that other person says, wait, I have some, well, the first person that read it didn't have it. So you got to scratch it. Very quickly, you find out everybody has a different opinion of what trust means. That's why trust is earned through behavior. I found there's three words that show up most often that everybody can agree on. Okay. Three. The first one is you're honest. Okay. The second is you're helpful. The third is you're reliable. So you want to create experiences as a leader and as a salesperson, frankly, that give you the opportunity for them to experience that you're honest. So you tell them something and then they have an experience where they find that you do what you say. Or you say, this is the facts. And then when they experience something, they say, it is the facts. You want very quickly for them to experience your honesty, not hear about your honesty. Does that make sense? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want them to experience your helpfulness, not hear about your helpfulness. So you start thinking, what are the ways that I can be helpful? If you're a salesperson, how do I help a customer? If you're a leader, how do I help a salesperson? If it's reliable, you want to engineer experiences where they see he or she does what he or she says. If she says, I'll get this to you by whenever, make damn sure you get it to them by whenever. And so if there's three things you want to do to scale trust, first, remember that trust is shown by behavior and make sure you have behavior create experiences where you are now experienced or observed as honest, observed as reliable and observed as helpful because that is something that the love group will amplify faster than you ever thought. That is something that will neutralize the hate group. Even if they still hate your guts, they can't say anything because the swing group will say, Hmm, that doesn't make sense to me. So, so have behavior that consistently shows those three things. That's a short answer to a longer, to a longer question. That was the short answer. Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. It was, yeah. I mean, it was absolute fire. What you just gave right there it was, uh, you, you can tell you, you have ninja skills in the Thank you. leadership because of just your depth and understanding. And it, like, as you were talking, I was internalizing what you're saying. And I'm like, yeah, it, it totally is experience based. It's not, you know, that's, that's where people kind of identify how you show up for them. You know, there's actually three kinds of, of character of trust too, Ryan. Okay. They're going to see character, competence, and connection. So character is how ethical you are. Competence is how good you are. Connection is how much they relate to you. You can build trust on all three of those things. And so I spend a lot of time helping leaders build trust because that's one of the things you've got to be good at. And it's a muscle, man. It's not something either you have or you don't. It's important to treat those things as skills because the more skillful you are at it, the more authentic you'll be. I mean, I'll tell you this, if you, if you ever have someone say, you can trust me, you can trust me, that's the person you should run as fast as you can, right? Yeah, I mean, because if you're trustworthy, you don't really need to say that. Right? Yeah. So, so that, and in terms of that, Rob, so like I know what you do is results-based. Everything that, yeah. that you talk about is results-based. So let's just, let's just stick on the areas of trust and honesty and leadership. When you see someone implement or a company implement this strategy, this structure with people you help, what kind of results have they've gotten? And can you give an example? You don't have to name companies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, so people can frame in their mind because there's so many areas to focus on. And I see where you're going. And I think it's beautiful. And I think there's massive results. But can you give some examples? Yeah, happy to. So for the listeners, I know you have marketing and sales. And it's important. I think it's genius that you do it that way because there's no reason they should be anything but connected. I see results in a lot of ways. My work as a leader is around mindset, skill set, and performance. And so inside of performance, there's a lot of ways that when you get good at the leadership side of things, there's at least five ways that I tell people to look for. They come at different times. They come at different paces. Um, The first is you should see sales get better. It's not a stretch to say a good leader, sales should grow because you are results-based. Like I said, if you have trust but not results, it's a fail. Okay. And so we need to make sure that we see sales go up. So that's the first one is total performance. The second is the percentage of people hitting goal should change. Uh, One of the epic challenges that faces sales leaders is the 80, 20 rule is alive and well. And um, we need to get it closer to the, you know, the 80, 20 rule the other way. Yeah, exactly. I want to flip it. I want to have the 20, 20 rule. I want to have the, you know, 
Um, you shouldn't rely on just a few people doing all your work. And so right now, less than 50% of reps in in the United States are hitting goal. And it's fallen for eight years in a row, Ryan. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And so it's the like pressure. 10. And for yeah. outside sales, I heard it's as low as 10. Yeah. In some cases, it is. You're right. And so, um, so if you're going to be a good leader, then it's fair to say, yeah, total sales should go up. But it shouldn't just come from your 20% that do 80% of your work. Right? You should see the percentage of people hitting goal change. For me, you know, sales leaders, I've learned you run to the more button. I got there's three buttons you run to. The more button we run to every quarter, every day, every year, the more button gets pushed. And if you don't like the more button, get out of sales, okay? Just get out of it. Our job is to fund the growth of companies. So if you don't like the more button, you pick the wrong job, okay? And so, but you should have more percent of people. So that's one of my favorite ways to find out if it's working. Well, I was at 30% hitting goal or 10% hitting goal. This year, I've doubled it. I'm now at 20% or I'm at 40% hitting goal. That's a win, uh, that's a huge win, Ryan. And not enough people look at percent hitting goal. That's wow. one of the things that I, I look at for me. It's, it's, it's super important. That also will yield uh, results in one of my favorite metrics that I don't see hardly anybody looking at. This is one from my book that I always start with. I just kicked off a massive worldwide company and I asked for their number on this so I could have all the starting numbers. So when we started crushing, I could take credit for it, right? Um, <laughs> what's your revenue per rep? What is your average revenue per rep? Not enough people look at that because if you can have a revenue per rep number, so if I'm a leader and let's say I have eight reps and let's pretend my revenue per rep annually is half a million, okay? And I have only 20% hitting goal. I am hitting my team goal. Too many leaders say I do hit my team goal. Therefore, I'm good. So leave me alone. I would say, good. Job one is hit your team goal. Good. Job two is have more people contribute to it. And job three is have the general revenue that you get per rep in, under your direction get higher. Because if you're not creating increase in revenue per rep across the board, then I have a hard time understanding how you've created impact. So my job is to have people become legendary leaders, not successful leaders, legendary leaders. Legendary, legendary is my word, man. We've got our website getting ready to go live, and you're going to see that all through it. Be legendary. For all my customers, I get them shirts that say in big letters across the front, be legendary. That's what we want. So, so that's the third way. The fourth is you should see win rates change. We should, we should see win rates. Win rate is the fastest way to increase company valuation. If you can start having more wins per 10 at-bats, that changes a company fundamentally, Ryan. It just changes it fundamentally. Um, and then the last one is turnover. I, I look at, at the turnover rate. If you're a good leader, all those things should happen and you should have you should have turnover get better. You know, last year, in, about a third of salespeople in the United States switched jobs. It was roughly 30%. In sub-segments, it's as high as 40. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's epidemic. There is a sales leadership crisis. So those are five ways that people, now you asked me to give stories. Yeah, that's, no, I, love, I love the breakdown, man. Yeah, so give, give, us, give us an example. Give us a story. Yeah, so one of my favorite stories is um, this is a large company and I don't have their permission to use it. And they would look at this as conf- not confidential, but something that's important. That their, their stock has been on a tear the last few years, okay? When they came to me, large sales team, several thousand reps, and they had decided that they had this massive market share um, they weren't growing fast enough. It was more of a farming situation and they weren't winning enough takeaways from people. And so they wanted to get really good at that. 
but it was too hard. What they found was their team was just a little too transactional and they weren't what I like to refer to as stone cold killers. And a little insight on me, Ryan, the reason I love sales is I think it's the closest thing to being a professional athlete because <laughs> professional athletes, one person wins and everybody else loses, man. And that's mm -hmm. sales. One person wins. I don't really care who got second place. If you didn't win the business, one person gets all the business or you get none of it. So I think it's, the, like, it's like that. So I want people that will treat it that way. In fact, I think I might've told you this, Ryan, my approach to competitors is a little weird. Some people think it's a little too intense. My approach to competitors is I look at a competitor as someone that says, you're trying to stop me from feeding my family. You're trying to stop me from sending my kids to college. You're trying to make it so I no longer have a job and competitors should be treated as such. And um, that's how I treat them. And that's why I beat them. And that's why you, that's why you do not want to be in a pursuit up against me because I'll beat you. So this company, they asked us to, what can we do to help them do that? And our approach was, you don't need new people. You don't need new sales training. Let's work on how you lead your people. So we put in two types of coaching. One was performance coaching and one was opportunity coaching, okay? Performance coaching is how do you get more horsepower out of your prospecting and sales effort, right? Opportunity coaching is how do we make our opportunities that we have either have higher win rates or faster cycle times? Because the four levers that you can pull are the number of opportunities, the revenue per customer, win rate, and speed. If you're measuring anything outside of those things, I'd argue that you're making it harder than it needs to be. Those four things are all you need to do. Can you repeat those one more time? Yeah. One more time. This is another one you want to write down. Number of opportunities that you're chasing, average revenue per customer, win rate, and speed. And all of your work as a leader should be to either get more opportunities. So marketing, help us get more opportunities, Right. Revenue per customer, help us solve more problems. Win rate, you know, let's see if we can solve problems that matter. And speed, let's see if we can engage them in a way that we can, sh we can shorten the sales cycle. If you get each of those things 10% better, you're going to win 48% more business. I've broken it down, it's easy to do, okay? And so with this company, we realized very quickly that we had all the looks we needed. Our win rate was just too low, okay? Our win rate was way too low. So we we looked at this and we said, what if we could have opportunity coaching be done in a way that um, we went from, they were in the 23% hit rate, kind of, I think is where they were. What if we could raise that by 10 points? And we did the math and it was millions and millions of dollars that would happen if we did that. And, and the number of sheer logos that, would you, that you would get. And so think about it, it's a pretty low investment. We worked on coaching. We worked on training leaders to have leadership skills around the sales process and say, we, instead of having you do check-ins and instead of say, do you think it's going to close or don't you? Uh, we, we put a different approach in where we were without getting too much. We made it about how we engage clients and all of our forecasting and all of our activity work was based on, can we have customers do homework assignments or what I call verifiers, physical verifiers that only a customer can do. And we did everything around, okay, you say you're in stage five ready to close, but we only have a verifier at stage two, right? And so we better go back and, and set coaching goals around this opportunity to do this activity and this activity because that's what's going to get us the next verifier. And as soon as we did that, it was very interesting. Now the one-on-one -on -one stopped being check-ins. Now the one-on-ones were first. We'd have some one-on-ones that were about performance management 
and you would calculate, do we have enough opportunities and do we have enough dollars in the pipeline? If not, then we would set activity goals that would create more opportunities or more revenue per customer. Then in the other kind of one-on-one we did, it was opportunity coaching. And we would, do, we would only be looking at the creation of verifiers so we could see the win rates go up and the cycle time come down. Well, we saw that happen with verifiers. And in, in less than a one-year period of time, that, that hit rate went from somewhere in the low 20s to the high 30s in that first year. It got to 38%. And the unexpected benefit from that was we saw 15% more reps hit goal that year. Nice. Same people. No new sales tools. They already had Salesforce. They had all those things. What we did is we had the leadership process use the tools that they'd bought. Like I remember when I bought Salesforce the first time, uh, that, big, that big institution, I had 1,000 reps using it. I remember watching Salesforce put it in and I watched how we trained it and I thought to myself, I don't know what to tell my 180 leaders on how they do their job differently or better because we have Salesforce here now, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't, they, they didn't help me answer that question. And so I needed to help them answer that question. What do I do differently so I can be a better leader as a result? And so when we put in, in this customer line, I'm talking about opportunity coaching and performance coaching, you know, mindset, skill set, performance, uh, we changed our mindset. We developed new skills. And the two things we saw was, you know, a massive jump in win rate and an even equally uh, impressive jump in percent hitting goal. And look at the things that drove. That drove instantly. Total sales went up big, right? Um, revenue per rep, that was my favorite jump that I saw happen. And you should see what happens when a leader watches a higher percent hit goal. Revenue per rep jump. They know they're having impact, Ryan. And think about it. No new tools. No new sales training. It was just better leaders. The same leaders now been given a structure on how to actually help either win more or faster or create uh, higher performance with the same people. And, and, and turnover like now this organization says, this is, some, this is how bold they are, Ryan. They say, when we hire someone here, we're hiring to join the last company they'll ever join because you won't leave. That's their wow. attitude. Yeah. I love it. That's awesome, man. Great results. I love that story. And I love those details. We are unfortunately up on time because I could talk to you about this for another like hour or two. Yeah. Uh, so where can people find you? How can they get more Rob Jepson? Uh, let, let us know right now. So best way is find me on, on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, I, I contribute on LinkedIn uh, from time to time. Check out the Sales Leadership Podcast. We bring sales leaders like you, Ryan. Ryan, you're going to be on uh, here. By the time this goes live, you probably will have already been on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I bring the best leaders in the world to the show, and we share leadership success stories as well as expert in specific disciplines like you. Uh, I have a Patreon community where I share my very best content. Um, it's called Sales Leadership United, and I will have my new website, the Jepson Performance Group, uh, live probably by the time this goes live. And you can check that out at jepsonperformancegroup.com or jeppg.com. That's it. Wow. Well, you absolutely crushed it today, my friend. You, uh, you didn't just drop like one or two things. You, you dropped like 30. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. And I mean that with the highest form of compliment. Like, it was awesome. Like, you touched on so many areas so succinctly in such a sharp, like real crisp period of time. So thank you so much for sharing that, man. And thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources. So I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. 
One of the things that I want to ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes. So check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me. And I hope to see you soon.